chapter 14. But we're going to be talking uh, this morning and looking at a continuation of what we looked at last week about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit uh, being our helper. We looked at that in depth last week. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth as our helper and what that meant to us and how we can rely on that. And it was, I, I drove home uh, yes, or Sunday afternoon last week thinking about what God had shown us in His Word and just thinking about the simplicity of the Holy Spirit as our helper. And I, I tell you what, I think so many times it's easy for us with all of the information that we have available to us out there in the world today, all the resources and the media that we have, is to be bombarded by so much truth and so much depth that sometimes we lose the simplicity of what God has for us. It's, it's, just, it's, it's so possible in our lives to do that. And I think God wants to teach us on a simple level. Now, why do you suppose that is? I think we learn at a simple level. I think we apply things at a simple level. doesn't mean that going more in-depth, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as what it is that we're trying to take in, we can actually put to practice, right? To put to work in our lives in application. How many of you, you know, growing up, maybe you, you eat steak for the first time if you're a little kid and all of a sudden you're taking it in and it's like too much. You know, you don't have the capacity to actually take that in and digest it because you're too young to get there. And so for us in this place this morning and as we go through the book of John, I want it to be steak and potatoes and vegetables. I don't want it to be chocolate sundaes. I want us to have a healthy diet of God's Word. But also we need to look at it simplistically, I think, for application in our lives. Because it doesn't mean anything to have the knowledge but not put it into practice, right? We know from Scripture, knowledge puffs up. So, But if knowledge is something that, well, it's been said before that wisdom is knowledge applied. So if we are gaining knowledge and applying it in our lives, that's wisdom. So having said all of that, let's dive into our text. We're going to look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I've entitled the teaching this morning, Threefold Relationship. Threefold Relationship. And we'll look at that as we go through each one of those. If you like to take notes, there's a lot uh, here for us this morning to take notes on. If you're not really a note taker, um, maybe consider doing it today. <laughs> uh, just because this is just good principles for us to learn and to live by. So... Our study is going to take us to three different places this morning in God's Word, but we're going to start with John 14, verse 16. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So we talked last week again about the Holy Spirit being our helper. And if you weren't here last week, you want to get a copy of that. There's CDs out front. You can download it on the website or on our mobile app, either one. Uh, but the first thing that I want to point out is in this text how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit. And I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that, what? He 
may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit as what? A he, a, a him. So he's referring to him as a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. The third person in what we call the Trinity. Now the word Trinity, you're not going to find anywhere in Scripture. But it's interesting too, you're not going to find the word Bible anywhere in Scripture either. So the word Trinity is not used anywhere, but it is implied everywhere. Everywhere throughout Scripture you can find the principle of the Trinity. It's a term that helps describe to us who and what God is. God made up of three equal parts. Now what I'm sharing right now, I, I realize, for those of you that are believers and have been for some time, this is essential Christian beliefs. These are the things that we hold to dearly and true because of what we know from Scripture. They're foundational in our walk with the Lord, is recognizing who God is. So God made up of three equal parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So we can see in, just in those two verses, that one of them Jesus quoting, the other one written by Paul, that we can see this Three in one that makes up the Godhead. Also in 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied, written by Peter. We could go on and on and on and on this morning of all the scriptures that not only verify the Trinity, but also emphasize the Trinity as well. Certainly such passages show that the New Testament faith is implicitly Trinitarian. Of course, it's true that none of these passages say directly that God is a Trinity or this is the Trinitarian doctrine. They don't need to. The three are used consistently throughout Scripture, individually and together, to show us that they are three individual persons and that the three individually make up what we know to be God. It's emphasized here for us because Jesus says he and him, Jesus himself recognizes the Holy Spirit as a person, so we should as well, right? So the doctrine of the Trinity is to be believed by faith, but it's also grounded in Scripture. It's not just something someone made up. It's implicitly throughout Scripture. They're available for us. But it is a hard concept to grasp, isn't it? It's hard to understand, and sometimes it's harder even to explain. And we know we've probably all heard the explanations or the attempted explanations, many, many attempts to explain this concept of the Trinity. The egg, right? You guys have probably heard that one. There's an egg shell, there's an egg white, and there's an egg yolk. Three different parts that make up the whole egg to try to use that to explain the Trinity. <laughs> It's almost humorous, you know, when you think about it. Well, I'm going to use an egg to explain the Trinity. <laughs> okay, how about a cherry pie? I heard this one before. 
You cut it into three different pieces, but all three are still what? Cherry pie. I, I kind of like that one. No, I don't actually either, because I don't care for cherries. So apple, maybe an apple. So uh, water, you may have heard water used before. Water is a liquid, water is ice, so it's a solid, and water is steam, so it's a gas. So water being used. It's three different conditions, but it's all still water, isn't it? I like to think of it this way. This is the way my, my mind thinks. Uh, I am Jim Carlton. I'm a father, I'm a son, and I'm a pastor. Pastor being what, what I do, right? Three different parts that make up the whole. And you might be thinking, you might be saying this morning, oh, but Pastor Jim, there's just so much more to you than that. I, I know that. I know there is. But these three <laughs> describe me, who I am and, and what I do. And so we try to take something simple to understand the simplicity of the Trinity. And that's difficult, isn't it? Because it's just one of those mind-blowing things, trying to think it's three things, but it's one thing. It's God. So trying to explain the concept of the Trinity in our human attempts it's, just, it's very difficult, and it falls way short of who each person of the Trinity is and how they make up the whole, which is God. So I think it's best for us just to stick with what Scripture says about each one individually and as God as a whole. So as we look at each one individually, and then if you will, we take those Scriptures and just glue them all together to give us the attributes of God. Does that make sense? Now, many times it's believed that the Holy Spirit first comes on the scene in the New Testament. However, we know that the Holy Spirit's first mentioned in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Holy Spirit, referred to here as the Spirit of God, has always been with and as God. Always, always, forever. That will never change. And as we saw last week, Jesus is going to pray the Father to send us a helper to abide with us forever. That always forever helper that we can rely on, we can trust in. Verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. So not only does God have a plan of salvation for everyone who believes, He's also put the tools in place to accomplish it. This, the Holy Spirit working on our behalf, our, our helper. And in our text this morning, Jesus gives us more insight into this helper, the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. So there's two phrases here related to the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. Spoken by Jesus, and I think they require our attention to look at them. Two phrases, two descriptions, if you will. Number one, dwells with you. And number two, will be in you. Dwells with is present tense in the here and now. Jesus is telling His disciples, this Holy Spirit dwells with you right now. Why is that? Why is that? Because we have no indication up to this point that the Holy Spirit's been given, right? But if Jesus, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are all one, and Jesus is there with them, 
The Holy Spirit's with them, right? Already. He's there. So dwells with, present tense, the here and now. Then he says, will be in. Will be in is a future tense. This, this is something that's going to happen later. The Greek word with is para, P-A-R-A. Para, para, however you pronounce it. But it's so, it's with you or para you. Its meaning is to be with, to walk alongside. So before you or I became a believer in Jesus Christ, it was the para, the Holy Spirit, walking alongside, wooing us, convincing us to come, to check out Jesus. That little thing that was saying, still small voice going, no, you really should listen to this. That was the very thing that led us to Christ. It was the Holy Spirit walking alongside, wooing, convincing, calling us to come. Come check it out. He was seeking to convince us that Jesus Christ died for us, that He loves us, and that we needed to give our life to Him. That's what He was in place for. The convincer, if you will. The persuader, if you will. He was with, He was para you, convincing you of your need for a Savior by convicting you and I of our sins. Now, many non-believers are just that, a non-believer, because they have rejected this relationship of the Spirit, thus rejecting Jesus Christ Himself. He is acting on behalf of Jesus, encouraging you to come to Jesus, so rejecting this invitation you're still in that non-believer state. Now, there's a term in Scripture known as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Most of you have probably heard that term. Another phrase what would just be rejection of the Holy Spirit, who's trying to lead you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now think about that for a second. If the Holy Spirit's in place to draw us to Jesus Christ, and we reject what the Holy Spirit's saying... We're never going to come to Jesus Christ, are we? It's not going to happen. So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejection of what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in our lives to draw us to Jesus. Matthew 12, 31 says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. This is the one and only Note takers, one and only unpardonable sin. There is only one sin that you can do and not be forgiven for. And that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Never recognizing Jesus Christ as your Savior to start with. Never having a relationship with Him so that your sins can be forgiven. So not responding to the Holy Spirit puts you, places you in that state. It's the rejection of Jesus Christ, who He is and what He has done for you. Now the sad thing is, is that over time, this constant rejection of the opportunities presented by the Holy Spirit to woo you to Christ, if they continue to be ignored or rejected, it will result in a hardened heart, no longer able to accept who Jesus is or what He's done for you. So you say, well, how is that? Well, over time, as you continue to reject, continue to reject, continue to reject, not listening, over time, God in His sovereignty will determine 
it's not going to happen. And so he will harden the person's heart to the point that it will never happen. You say, well, when does that happen? I have no idea. You don't either. So quit messing around and go ahead and make this decision before he hardens your heart. That's the principle that we just need to see. Listen to that wooing. Now, when I was uh, employed by uh, Hewlett Packard, uh, and they started laying people off and whatever, uh, out of the goodness of their heart, they determined that they were going to help those who were being laid off find other employment. So they would help you write your resume, and it's like, oh, this is a good thing? Oh, thanks, you know. Uh, so it's like, you know, pouring salt in a wound almost, isn't it? But one of the things that they would do is have us take this personality test or uh, skill test or whatever you want to call it to see how we scored and what our strengths and weaknesses were. Now, I want to tell you, and I, I don't do this to boast, it's just because they made me take the test twice, wooing, I was like off the charts on wooing, trying to convince someone to get them to come around to my way of thinking, which surprised Chris, quite, quite honestly. <laughs> She didn't seem to be affected by that at all. I don't know. <laughs> so they had me take it again because they just thought that the, the test was skewed because I was just off the charts with that. And uh, took it again, same thing. And they said, we're not sure w where you need to be, maybe in politics, you know. I'm thinking, well, yeah, maybe. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. So God decided we'll use it as a pastor. So wooing is something that I, I get, I understand. And it's this heartfelt desire to bring some around, someone around to your way of thinking, right? Now, if you're thinking in the right way, if you're thinking as it applies to God's Word, and you're wanting to use that to impact the lives of someone, to draw them to Christ, that's good use of wooing. I had to practice that. <laughs> Almost a good use of wooing. But good use of wooing is, is that very thing. So the Holy Spirit in us he is the master wooer, if you will. Him working in us to woo others. It's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. So, rejecting that, rejecting that wooing leads to the unpardonable sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, rejection of Jesus, which is beyond forgiveness. Now, it's obviously not a good place to be because we know it has consequences. It's separation from God eternally, forever. Now, as you said here this morning, if you're not a believer, God is right now, right this very minute, this moment, using the Holy Spirit through these verses to woo you, to convince you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That work is going on right now. So don't wait, don't delay. Hear what He has to say, because if you die in this rejecting state, you're lost. Scripture makes that very clear. So it's an eternal decision that you have to make to be with God eternally or to be without God eternally. So the Holy Spirit is para or with you to draw you to Jesus, to woo you to Jesus, to convince you and I of who Jesus is and what He has done for us, to help us as the helper, to help us understand. Think of it as it's the come and see work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wooing, come and see. Come and check it out. So in this text, we see that the Holy Spirit dwells with you, para, but Jesus also says what? 
that he will be in you. This is a promise made by Jesus to his disciples, to those who will know and believe. So we have with, para, and now we have in. And in the Greek, it's in. The only thing they did was change the I to an E. Well, I guess we changed the E to an I, probably. But it's in. means the same thing. In. In. The very moment that you repent and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and to come into your life is the very moment that you enter into this second relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in you. He was walking alongside, wooing. Now he's in. So you think about where the disciples were at this point. Well, they're with Jesus. They, they, you would think they, this would have already taken place, wouldn't it? Jesus has not yet gone to the cross and died for the sins of the world. He's not been resurrected from the dead yet, so His work has not been completed yet. He's not sending the Helper, the Holy Spirit, until that work is completed. So this might be a stretch, but if you think about it, the disciples were somewhat, the way we look at it today, in an unsaved state. They weren't because they were looking forward to the hope of the coming Messiah, right? The Messiah is there. So they were. They were sealed by God because of that. However, what Christ was going to be bringing to fruition through the Holy Spirit had not happened yet. So this is a promise that He's given to them. Look, I'm here with you. I am the Holy Spirit for you right now, but when I leave, I won't be with you any longer, and I need to send you a helper. And that helper is going to come in you. The Holy Spirit comes inside you and I so that our bodies are now the dwelling place, the abode, the temple of the Holy Spirit, if you will, who is in us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. In you, again, ye in in the Greek. So once again, as a helper, but now also living in us to teach, and to counsel, and to guide, and to correct, and to instruct, and to rebuke, and to conform. Whatever is necessary to draw us closer to an independency and reliance upon Jesus Christ, to be conformed into His image, to be more like Christ. Now, I have that down in my notes, to be more like Christ. And I look at the intensity of that statement, and it's a little scary, isn't it? Because to be more like Jesus, oh man, how do I, how do I pull that off? Because I see what... Jesus is and, and was in the, in the scriptures. And I, me being formed more and more into the image of Jesus, well, he sent us a helper, right, <laughs> to help us do that. And then that helper is in place to teach, to counsel, to guide. And when we mess up, to correct and instruct and rebuke and conform. All of those things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives to draw us closer to Jesus and make us more into his image. Be conformed in His image to be more like Christ. And you might say, well, man, that's going to take a lot of work. Yeah, a lifetime of work. <laughs> but it's going to be carried out by the provided helper. 
but it's also a work that he promises us he's going to complete, doesn't he? In Philippians 1.6, be confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Once he starts the work, he will complete the work. It's, it's a promise, but it takes the Holy Spirit in us to do that very thing. Now, I don't know, how many of you here have a fairly strong background with Calvary Chapel, that you've been around Calvary Chapel for a number of years? A few of you. Uh, most of us have come from some other background, right? And I think that's because Calvary Chapel didn't start till the late 60s, and so uh, either through our parents or grandparents, most of us would have probably been plugged into some church or denomination, and that's fine. I mean, we've all grown from those things and past those things, if, if necessary. But one of the things that I've appreciated about Calvary Chapel was the simple explanation when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Because there's a lot of confusion out there regarding the Holy Spirit, isn't there? In some circles, it's ignored altogether. No, we don't want to go there. No, tell them what's going to happen, you know? <laughs> to the point of going... We have no idea what's going to happen next, you know. So it's clear across the board what, where people uh, are with the Holy Spirit, the way they view the Holy Spirit. But again, I believe God wants us to understand the Holy Spirit simplistically. Because if we understand it on the simple level first, then as it does get deeper for us, we've got those foundational principles that we can apply to that to go what? To say wait a minute, I don't feel right about this, or no, that's exactly keeping with what God's Word says in relation to the Holy Spirit. I think it's best said, the question is not, how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but rather, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? How much are you, am I, yielding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He's in us for our benefit and the benefit of those around us. It's obedience to His leading. It's beneficial. Disobedience to His leading grieves Him. Why? He always wants the best for us. He's always acting on and being led by the Father in relation to us there's nothing that He ever does to harm us. It's always for our best. Now, I know we struggle with that at times because when we're in the middle of correct and rebuke, <laughs> we don't always feel like it's loving. But it is because it's the best for us. We know that as parents. We've had to do that with our own kids when they got a little out of line. You know, you didn't just smack your kid. The Holy Spirit doesn't just smack us, although sometimes He does me for obvious reasons. But, uh, you know, we, we need to get their attention. We need to explain to them why you don't go there, why you don't do this, because it's beneficial for you to not go there and do this. He does it out of love. He does it out of uh, compassion. He's doing that th these things for our good. He always wants the best for us. He will always do the best thing for us. And not following that leading grieves Him. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, 
We looked at blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and we looked at grieving the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit only applies if you're a non-believer. Grieving the Holy Spirit applies to us maybe fairly regular because He's leading us, guiding us down a path of obedience and we go, eh, I don't know if I want to go there or not. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I think I want to go my own way, you know. Fleetwood Mac had it right, right, back in the 80s. You can go your own way. However, there could be correct and rebuke after that. Sorry, another eight-track flashback. <laughs> Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit wants to do this work in our lives, and it's for our good. He knows it's for our good, and He knows it's going to take us from where we are right now to where God wants us to be, and He's encouraging us to go in that direction. And yet we still do what at times? I don't want to go there. We're disobedient in that. That grieves the Holy Spirit because He knows that's best for us. Again, we can relate it to us as parents. As we want our child to go this certain way. They don't go that way, and it grieves us. It saddens us, doesn't it? Because we know without a doubt that it's the best for them. And we're not even God. God knows everything, and if He's guiding you know it's the right direction. There is no doubt. Yet, we're bold enough to go do what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, God. You sure? <laughs> you sure that's what you want me to do? It's, it's kind of ridiculous, really, isn't it, when you look at it in that, in that light. But we do it. We do do it. And so, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It's not blasphemy. It's grieving because it's about relationship. He's saddened by our disobedience. He wants us to obey because it's the best for us. So in our text, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is with you, but will be in you. Now this is a promise to His disciples. Where and when does this happen in the life of the disciples? We know that Jesus has died on the cross, He's been resurrected from the dead, and has been seen by the disciples and others on many occasions. So the text says in John 20, 21 and 22, he comes to them, the disciples again, and he says to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is not something that I just come up with on my own. Many, many Bible teachers and scholars agree that this is the point when the disciples received the Holy Spirit in them, in them. We have to keep the terminology straight. With, now in. Because I know immediately people are thinking, well, what about Pentecost? <laughs> what happened there? We're going to get to that. So we've got the with and we've got the in. So it's at this point that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the disciples. He's now living in them. Again, we looked at it. Because Jesus had not yet died on the cross and had not been resurrected from the dead, the Holy Spirit wasn't available to be in them at that point. Those things had to take place. Jesus had to fulfill His ministry, and then the Holy Spirit could come to live in. He promised them that the Holy Spirit will be in you, and this is where it takes place. Jesus gives this promised Holy Spirit to live in them as He does us when we know and believe in Him. So the teaching today is and was entitled 
the threefold relationship of the Holy Spirit. Now we've covered two, right? We've covered the with, the para. We've covered the in, the in. <laughs> and now we're going to be looking at the third. So with, with or para in the Greek, in or in in the Greek. So what and where is number three? So to finish up this morning on this, turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And follow along as I read through uh, verse 8. The former account I made, O Theophilus, if you're wondering who Theophilus is, when he was born, the doctor said, oh, that's Theophilus, baby I've ever seen. <laughs> Theophilus, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I've actually got it right here in my notes, I'm sorry, because I knew it was going to have that kind of an impact. Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles, whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now the key phrase in all of these, these eight verses, the key phrase is when Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is number three in the threefold relationship with the Holy Spirit. Upon in the Greek is epi. E-P-I, the Holy Spirit with us, as we saw, walking alongside, wooing, the Holy Spirit in us, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He comes to reside in us, to be our counselor, our teacher, the one who instructs and corrects, and now the Holy Spirit upon us. This is commonly referred to, and we even see up above in verse 5, baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not something... God ever wanted us to fear. It's not something God ever wanted us to be uh, confused about. What God wants is for us to understand it, receive it, and use it for His glory. The baptism of the Holy, Holy Spirit. So hopefully we understand the purpose of one and two, the with and the in. What's the purpose of number three, this baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's also revealed in verse 8. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Why is it that we're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us? What purpose is it for? He says, you shall be witnesses to me. To be a witness. 
you shall be my witness. I'm giving you the power to be my witnesses. Everywhere. Because as soon as that phrase ended with, and to the ends of the earth, that included to the ends of the earth. It included everything, didn't it? It wasn't just a particular place or spot. It was over the whole world. So the Holy Spirit to come upon to receive power, to be baptized with this power, immersed in this power. Again, for what purpose? To be His witnesses. I think it could be best illustrated like this. This morning I bought a kind of an object lesson here for us. I used this in our discipleship class. And uh, I just think it very simply portrays the whole thing that we're talking about here. It really eliminates a lot of confusion. Because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, immediately the attention goes to Acts chapter 2. And that's where it takes place, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit does come upon. But for what purpose? Because what happens so many times in Christian circles is we get caught up on the gifts that come after that, and that becomes the focus, rather than the original purpose that it was for anyway. Because all those gifts, how are they supposed to be used? For that purpose, right? For that purpose of being witnesses. So, stay with me here. Imagine this picture is God. Okay? The picture is God. Contained in this picture is the Holy Spirit. And just for the purposes of doing this, the handle and the avenue in which this is poured is Jesus Christ. Okay? So, we have in this picture the Trinity. <laughs> You're going, oh man, the egg made more sense. <laughs> so stay with me now. Here's what it is. So this glass is empty. It's alongside, right? It's alongside. But yet it's being wooed by the Holy Spirit to check out Jesus Christ, to check him out. It's void right now. It's empty because the Holy Spirit's not there. But He wants to pour into our lives the Holy Spirit and we but need to, what? Accept it. So this glass is us. Pictures God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. And when we accept the Lord, He pours into us. He's, he's now in us. Does that make sense? Very simple principle, but we're the glass. Now we have the Holy Spirit. He's in us. And the purpose of Him being in us at this point is for Correction, rebuke, I'll start with those this time. Counsel, teaching, instruction, all those things. We couldn't understand anything about God's Word that we need to without the Holy Spirit being in us. He helps us to understand. So then we get to, we had the with, alongside, now He's in. How do we apply the upon? Think about this. And don't say there's a glass half full or half empty. Let's not go there. He's in us, and when the Holy Spirit comes up on us, here's what happens. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptized, we know a term that means what? Immersion. We are immersed in the Holy Spirit, and I don't think I have enough water to pull that off, but we're immersed in the Holy Spirit completely, so the bowl is others, those around us. So as He pours into us and we are baptized with His Holy Spirit, it overflows into the lives of others. He uses us 
then as instruments to be wooers for him. Now, am I the only one that's really excited about that? I think that is so cool. That is the coolest thing when you think about it. And so simple, is it not? So simple to understand. Walking alongside us, wooing us to Jesus Christ. We accept Jesus Christ. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help grow us and conform Him more and more into him, His image, drawing us closer to Him all the time. And then asking for it. Lord, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be used by you, Lord. I want such a filling of your Holy Spirit that I'm over full. And it's just <laughs> pouring out all over everybody. How many of you have ever met one of those Christians that was just infectious? you just like, almost to the point where you're like, Whoa, you know, this is what's going on in their lives. They're so full of the Holy Spirit, it's just spilling out all over and on to everybody else. And that is just such a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And we should all desire that. Now, we have these promises. We looked last week. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Asking for that very thing. Lord, fill me up to overflowing. The difference between the in and the upon is the in is there all the time. The upon happens as God determines, right? We are not in control of that, if you will. Certainly we can be so filled with the Holy Spirit that it pours out, but God Himself does the upon work. It's His work. It's not our work. It's His work through us, right? So we're not in control of that. We don't have the privilege of turning that off and on, do we? We can certainly not be yielding to it. In some ways, I guess that's turning it off. But when he turns it on, he turns it on, does he not? And it's his work. That's what's so exciting about it. And it can pour out into the lives of others. They can be impacted by the change that's happened in our lives. The para, the in, the epi, these Greek words that give us more meaning, more depth into the work that God does in us. We are to become His witnesses, says, to the ends of the earth, doesn't it? In verse 8. We are empowered by God to do what He has baptized us with, His Holy Spirit, to do. Therefore, the baptizing of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit into the lives of others should be an ongoing work in our lives because we should be available, number one, and yielded to that work, willing to let that work happen in us and through us. The para, the with, is, is an always state. The in, the in us is an always state. The upon is an ongoing filling to overfilling, right? You think about that. If we've poured out, we're back to just what's in us, right? And we need to be refilled, so we need to go to the filling station and be refilled filled on a regular basis. When do we need to do that? Daily. Daily. That's why it's so important for us to, I, I believe, rise up early in the morning asking for that very thing. Lord, guide us this day. 
guide me this day. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can impact the lives of others. Because trying to do it without that, we cross over even into an area of trying to do it out of the flesh, don't we? We're not supposed to walk according to the flesh. We're supposed to walk according to the Spirit. So, Lord, fill me up to overflowing so I'm just walking in the Spirit all day long, right? That's where we need to be. I don't know why I walk like that. But (laughs) out of our lives, into the lives of others. We are to be His witnesses to the whole world. (laughs) That was just weird. If you're here this morning and you are saved, you have His Holy Spirit in you. You do. Because it's a promise you will receive that when you come to Jesus. You are filled with His Holy Spirit. But you need to and I need to pray regularly for the overflowing of His Holy Spirit to be empowered by Him to pour into the lives of others. Amen? 